want to invite you to take your Bible open with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And I want to share with you uh, this morning uh, uh, briefly a message that I've titled, A Lesson in Faith and Failure, from Genesis chapter 15. We have been spending several weeks kind of working through some of the high points of the book of Genesis as we look at our series in the beginning and how we can encounter the goodness of God in the book of Genesis. And we're even focusing further still in that book on a specific man by the name of Abraham as we take a few weeks to look at his life. He is a major person in the book of Genesis. He's a major individual in the uh, aspect of Christianity as a whole. Now, what we're tempted to do is we're, we're tempted to think that Abraham is a super spiritual saint who never did anything that was wrong. Uh, the opposite of that is actually true. In fact, lest we think of Abraham as this never-made-a-mistake patriarch, we need to remember that this is a man who knew how to make a mess of life. I mean, we, we looked last week at how he, he started off so well in Genesis chapter 12, and he shows us his faith by leaving out and following God, but, but then it shows us his failure. A famine occurs in that same chapter, and he goes to Egypt, and when he gets to Egypt, or as he plans to go to Egypt to find food, he looked at his wife, Sarah, and he says, Sarah, you know, you're a good-looking woman, and I'm not that good-looking of a guy. Can I get some witnesses? You got a good-looking wife, but not so much the husband? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Abraham says, you know, Sarah, you're, you're very pleasant to look at, me not so much, so why don't we pretend that you're my sister so that when we get to Egypt, they will not kill me because if you're my wife and they know you're my wife and they want you for their wife, they'll kill me to get you. And all of a sudden, this man who had such great faith now has fear. I mean, does Abraham not believe that the same God who made him this promise that he would have a great descendant? Uh, and a great family would not keep him safe as he goes through Egypt. But that, that's not all that the, the failures that he had. A, a few years passed, and God still had not given him his son. And so his wife Sarah says, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you take our, our house servant, Hagar, and you and Hagar have a child, and that way you'll have a son. And Abraham went along with it. Here's the great man of God who steps out at his wife's, I mean, this is like Jerry, Jerry, it's a Jerry Springer episode. And they have this child, this child's name is Ishmael, and the faith that Abraham once had has now dissipated. It has disappeared. Sarah becomes jealous of Hagar, that's, okay, so that's major failure number two. Sarah then becomes jealous of Hagar and begins to mistreat Hagar, and all Hagar's doing is what Sarah asked her to do, and then Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar and abuse her, and Father Abraham just kind of sat back letting it happen, does not say a word. Failure number three. So God repeated then this promise to Abraham in Genesis 17 and says he'll renew this covenant to promise this son. And the man of God, the father of our faith, looks at God and laughs at him. Failure number four. And then lo and behold, if Abraham doesn't come to another king in Genesis chapter 20, 
He gets scared, and he lies again. Not once did he lie about Sarah being his wife, but twice he throws her under the bus under the camel, uh, chariot, whatever. Uh, he, he totally is like, no, no, she's not my wife. She is my sister. He, he, he brings it back full circle to the beginning of his struggle with faith. The same mistake he made at the beginning, he is making again at the end. Does that sound familiar? Do you not find yourself doing the same dumb things over and over and over again? struggling with the same sin, repeating the same bad habits that are outside of God's will, continually learning some lessons in failure, and maybe along the way, a lesson or two in faith. The lapses in Abraham's faith, his failures, taught him a valuable lesson. They teach us a valuable lesson. I have got one sermon point this morning. This is a one-point sermon, but lest you get excited, I've got a lot to say about the one point, okay? (laughs) Here's the point. The only way to see your faith increase is to have your faith tested. That's why we're talking today about a lesson in Failure and faith. The only way to see your faith increase is to have your faith tested. Man, when Genesis 12 opens up, Abraham decides to follow God in faith, and after making that decision, this famine occurs. It forces him to the land of Egypt, and that is a place where his faith and his fear would collide. In his providence, God was testing the faith of Abraham, not so that Abraham would vacate his faith, but so that Abraham would grow his faith. You see, we don't just make a one time decision for God and have our faith tank filled to its capacity perpetually. No, instead, God is going to grow that faith, and the way God grows your faith is by testing it. You see, faith works like a muscle. The only way to strengthen it is if you strain it. You see, when you, and I know you look at me and you think that's a guy who knows what it means to work out and lift weights. Uh, when you, at the fact that everyone's laughing right now, it's really encouraging me. When you strain a muscle, you produce thousands of tiny tears in that muscle, and then it grows back stronger. That's how God operates with our faith. He allows us to be in situations where our faith can be stretched, where our faith can tear so that it can grow back stronger. Look, every Everything in your life, everything in the life of a Christian grows in the soil of faith. It is the single most important muscle in the Christian life, and God is committed to strengthening it. Now, the way your faith develops isn't always pleasant, it isn't always necessary or comfortable, but it's always necessary. You see, what we need to be reminded of and what Abraham's life will teach us, and we'll see in a minute why he learned this lesson, God leads you through valleys so that he can show you he's able to provide for you there. 
He allows a storm to come into your life so he can show you that he has the ability to walk on water. He surrounds you with conflict so that he can show you that only in relationship with him is he able to provide a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Now Abraham eventually comes to understand this truth. This is the lesson of faith that he learns. But he also learns many lessons of failure. And Abraham, the reason how we know that he comes to this realization is by something that happens later on, and we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, when God asked him to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice that son. And what happens, and again, we're not going to look at this morning, but in Genesis 22, God finally gives Abraham this promised son, then turns around and says, give him back to me. Isaac was not just the person that Abraham loved the most in the world. Isaac was his only son. Isaac represented all of Abraham's hopes and dreams for the future, yet Abraham did what God asked of him. So this, here, here, here comes the question. After failing over and over and over again, what was it that caused Abraham to finally learn this lesson that the only way to see your faith increased is to have your faith tested? I think the answer to that is in Genesis chapter 15. It helps us understand how Abraham learned these lessons in failure and faith. Let's read the text. Genesis 15 opens up by saying this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household or extended family will be my heir. What do you call this? You call this doubt. Abraham is doubting. His faith is faltering. So God takes him outside. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Sometimes people ask the question, how are people saved in the Old Testament? They're saved in the same way that people are saved in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people believed that God would keep his promise to send a Messiah and guarantee our future. In the New Testament, we believe that God has kept that promise. The difference is that in the Old Testament, they looked full. Forward, we look backward, but the faith is exactly the same. Abraham believed God and what God said, but then immediately after he believes God, he doubts. Does that not resonate with us? 
that we believe God in the morning, but before lunchtime, we're doubting the conversation that we had with God just a couple hours earlier. Look at what it says in verse 7. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans and to give you this land to possess. But he, Abraham, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Huh? Didn't God just say, look up at the skies? So God said in verse 9, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a partridge in a pear tree, or a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. They were free birds. Verse 11 says that when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam drove excuse me, Abram drove them away. Now, this is very important what's happening here. We live in a written age. When we want a guarantee, we ask for a written contract. In their day, instead of signing a contract, they participated in something called a covenant. The word covenant literally means to cut. And here's what would happen in the covenant. They would take animals, and they would slice those animals. If you're home eating your Captain Crunch, you're going to love this. They would slice those animals in half and place those animals apart from each other so that the blood of those animals formed a river of blood. And then if it were you and I who were making this covenant, we would both walk between those animals. We would walk between that sacrifice. We would walk through that river of blood. And as we walk through the river of blood, the blood would splash up upon our robes. Now, it was, it was very symbolic what was happening. In the covenant, what it meant was <clears throat> one person was saying to the other, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may what happen to these animals happen to me, and may their blood be mine. Okay, that's what's happening. Now, now look, very important, in chapter 15 and verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Scoot down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, it tells us, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Oh, don't miss this. When you would make a covenant, both parties would pass through. When this covenant is made, Abraham's being a good Baptist. He's asleep during church. A dark and dreadful sleep has come upon him. Who walks through this covenant? Well, the Lord does. God does. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between. That was the symbol of God. Who does not pass through? Abraham. 
See, in that day when a king would make a covenant with his servant, the servant walked through, but the king, it was just assumed that the king would keep his end of the agreement. But here in this instance, this is the only covenant in recorded history where the king walks through, but the servant does not. And here's what it is meant to symbolize to us. If God fails to keep his end of the the agreement, he will pay with his own blood. If Abraham fails to keep his side of the bargain, God will pay Abraham's price with God's own blood. God makes himself responsible for both sides of the covenant. God says, I will pay the penalty if I don't keep my promise. And Abraham, when you win, not if, when you fail to keep your part of the promise, I will pay that cost too. And what a great picture. In fact, this might be one of the clearest pictures that we have of Jesus in the Old Testament. Because just like Abraham fell into that deep sleep, before Jesus we were in the deep, dreadful sleep of sin. When Christ died upon the cross, it was darkness that descended upon the earth. When Christ died on the cross and when his blood came from his side and from his hands and his feet, it formed that river of blood symbolized by the covenant. And Jesus did not die because he failed to keep his end of the covenant. Jesus died because I failed to keep mine. Jesus died not because he was a sinner. He died because I was a sinner. He took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, where he suffered and died alone. And what happened, let's tie it all together, what happened in Genesis chapter 15, that becomes the source of Abraham's faith that is revealed in Genesis 22, when he obeys God and is willing to offer his son as as a sacrifice to God in obedience and in faith. The scene in Genesis 15 assured him of what God would do and how God would see this promise through to the end, even if Abraham faltered. And then when we look at the cross, we see God's commitment to see his promise, to see his covenant through. And that becomes our anchor to boldly go forward in faith for him. Not only, this is what I want to drive to home to you this morning, not only will God always keep up his end of the promise, God will make up for when I mess up. So then, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how badly you have stumbled, you today can get up 
and go forward in faith because God's commitment to you has never slowed. It has never subsided. You see, God is serious about teaching us to live by faith. There's probably something within us, that all of us, that wants God to do something through us, but I want to let you in on a secret this morning. We're going to wrap up. Before God can do something through you, God must do something in you. And what God desires to do in your life today is to redeem it, to save it, and then to use it for his honor and for his glory. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're tuning in to us online today, and you've come to realize that you are a sinner who needs salvation. You can't work enough to earn it. You don't have to. Because Jesus did all the work. On the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Everything that had to be done to satisfy the demands of God were done in Jesus. All you have to do is simply call out to him with a heart of repentance, confessing your sins to him and receiving the gift of salvation. And you can do that right now, whether you're here in this sanctuary, whether you're listening to us at home, wherever you are, you can do that right now by calling out to God in prayer. You simply ask God to save you. As you admit that you're a sinner, you confess those sins to God and you receive today the gift of God, salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've got a question about that. Maybe that's a decision you have decided to make today. We're obviously in a time of modified invitations during services, and obviously you can't uh, walk down an aisle if you're at home this morning watching us, but you can let us know of the decision that you have decided to make. If you're here with us on campus, you can look at the pew in front of you. There's a yellow card there. You can complete that card, or you can just, if you've got your phone, snap a picture of that code, that QR code that is on that card, and that will let us know then. You can let us know the decision you need to make. If you're watching at home, you can go to fbcmilton.org decision, or go to our website and click the link that says My Decision, and there you're able to let us know as well the decision you've made today. We want to follow up with you this week. We want to give you some resources that will help you in your walk with Christ. And if you would let us know of your decision, we'd be more than happy to do that. As we prepare to transition our, our time, and uh, we, we've done this enough now, it shouldn't be awkward or weird, but it still is. Uh, we will ma I'll make a few announcements to you this morning, and, and then uh, Mike Thorpe's going to close us in prayer. Uh, after we pray, we'll just be dismissed. 
Uh, of course, we want to remind you that as you leave today, you were able to give an offering if you brought one. There will be boxes as you walk out that have the word offering. It's got the word connect card, my decision. You can put anything but trash in that receptacle, okay? And we'll get it and we'll read through it. And uh, if you've made us a decision or you need more information, we'll be glad to do that. But if you brought your offering, you can place it in there. Or you can do your offering online as well, fbcmelton.org slash giving. Just go to our website. It should be easy to navigate or bring it by the office this week. Of course, as you have seen, uh, as, as many others have seen in our area, uh, not only in our, our state, but in our immediate area, we've seen just a tremendous surge. Of, of cases which we kind of expected to see. Uh, there was also over the weekend an emergency declaration that was made by our mayor. Again, as I shared with you earlier, after we put out information, making decisions, after we had text staff meeting well into the night, Friday night and Saturday morning, we put word out and then uh, no sooner had we put word out did we get other information that clarify that. So we, we're still honoring the intent of that declaration. It's still good, good practice and stewardship for us to do that. But just know that uh, we will be monitoring things this week. Uh, we will, the city council's meeting tomorrow and, and, and we'll pay close attention to that and we'll listen to that and your church staff will make decisions in consultation with our other leaders in, in making those. Do pray for our city officials, do pray for those making decisions, pray for our medical personnel and staff. Uh, we, we plan at this time to have service on Wednesday. I can just, again, I haven't met with staff about this, but I can tell you that my heart's desire is to provide you with an opportunity to worship on Sunday and an opportunity for discipleship on Wednesday. Now, how that looks might be, you know, we'll figure that out in the next couple of days and we'll explain that to you via email, Facebook, etc. Uh, but uh, by, by the end of, the, of business on Tuesday, we will have information. It's our plan to have something taking place here on Wednesday, although it may look modified from what it normally does, as well as next Sunday, we hope that uh, things will, will, uh, will be closer to, to normal, and, and we'll, we'll figure all that out as we go through uh, this week. Do know that uh, as your pastor, my, my primary concern is your physical health and your spiritual development. Uh, we are simply attempting to discern how we can accomplish both, how those two things can complement each other instead of emphasizing one at the expense of the other. Believe it or not, seminary, I don't know if I should get a refund from them or not for this, but seminary did not have pastoring in a pandemic courses. Uh, and so we are, we are winging this with reliance upon the Spirit. But you stay tuned in and uh, we will make announcements to you as soon as we can, as effectively and efficiently as we can. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Mike Thorpe's going to come lead us in our closing prayer, and we will be dismissed.